Praise the Lord for using your talent to play for Jesus this morning. We appreciate that. I wanted to, uh, in a moment, we'll turn to our Bibles in Philippians 3, but before you stand, I want to share a little introductory. This is our vision service this morning, and we're calling it that. We've not done that here at our church before, and, but um, since uh, coming to First Baptist Church, uh, my first Sunday was November of 2000, the first Sunday of uh, November 2014, so a little over four years ago, the Lord brought my family and I here, and uh, when coming here, one of the things I'd shared with the church and shared with the search committee is I wanted to hit the ground running in relation to helping people understand that, that right, right where we work, live, and play is our mission field. And that's something that you had been taught before, and I'm just building on the shoulders of other pastors. And, uh, but that's, that's something I heavily emphasized for the first several months. And, and uh, I think later that August of that year, um, Man, in less than a year, about 30 of us went to Nashville. Some of you went to what was called the SEND Conference of the North American Mission Board where we were trained and encouraged to be on our mission fields everywhere and every day. And along the way, as months went by, one of the things upon my heart I'd shared with you as well is, is that I wanted to be a part of a church where we weren't just talking about missions that we were doing it ourselves and not just giving and be hands-on involved. And so we prayed and were challenged to say, how, where in the world, literally, would God have us to be hands-on involved? And by God's providence, he led us to be involved with the church at Afton in St. Louis and found out there are 70,000 Bosnian Muslims that live there and the largest population in North America. And now for the last, this will be coming up this summer, will be our fourth summer and taking a mission trip to Bosnia. And so I look back at that and I'm so thankful that we followed through on what the Lord placed on our hearts in relation to international missions. So as time went along, uh, about the beginning of 2016, one of the things I emphasized, began to emphasize very heavily, was to encourage people to not just attend church, but, but to actually be involved in the church, to come and, and be involved in a small group or a Sunday school class and some type of fellowship over the word of God with believers from this church. And so that emphasis on discipleship and discipling one another with the end aim for the glory of God, obviously, but for the end aim, practically speaking, of being on mission together. We'll be on mission more effectively together when we're fellowshipping together over the word of God together. And so those are some of the things that, and I've kind of emphasized heavily the last few months. Uh, in the fall, I preached some, some kind of hard, heavy messages uh, on our discipleship process that we want to begin with the gospel. We want to see people begin with the gospel and, and be baptized, and we want to see that person get connected to the local church and join the church. But we also want to see that person growing in Christ and growing in their relationship with Jesus and uh, not just showing up, right? Coming to Sunday school, coming to a small group, fellowship with other believers. And then, but the end of that is, is that that same person who's began with the gospel, they've connected the church, they're growing in Christ, that they would begin to engage people that don't know Christ themselves. And it's like a circular thing. Then as they engage people, they go out and they help somebody understand the gospel and they begin with the gospel and connect with the church. And it's called discipleship. It's called making disciples. And so for the last four years, there has been that, that emphasis here in the church. And so in the last few months, the last couple months, uh, last year actually, this time of year during our prayer week, I asked you as a church that we would spend 40 days of prayer and fasting for revival, spiritual awakening in our church family, for guidance in our church family. And uh, many of you came to me in those first couple of months. Several people came to me and talked to me about things that uh, they felt God had put on their hearts, perhaps about our church and things we need to emphasize. And so in the last couple of months, uh, they, those things I actually wrote down and prayed about. And uh, I actually looked at that yesterday again. 
But we looked at it again the past couple of months, and some of our ministry leaders and deacons uh, were all invited to attend a couple of meetings here in December uh, for us to kind of just think about how could we challenge the church this year to kind of bring all of this together. Because we understand that we want to begin with the gospel and you get baptized, and, that, and that's kind of a one-time one thing, right? And, and you connect with the local church, you join the church, you continue to connect with it, but you join the church. But, but when it comes to growing in Christ and engaging the lost, those are not one-time things, right? Those are ongoing things. And so what I kind of, at, at my urging uh, with our ministry leaders and deacons uh, in the past few weeks, I said, you know, I think the vision, kind of just a concise vision statement for us, at least this year and maybe the next few years, should be just growing in Christ and engaging the lost. Just emphasize those two things. Because really, church, that's what God's called the church to do. Discipleship and evangelism are two sides of the same coin. To grow in Christ, help others grow in Christ, for you to grow in Christ, and to be engaging the lost. It's like two wings of an airplane. And if we uh, emphasize discipleship too much and we want people to really grow deep in the Lord, that's a good thing, Right? But if we neglect, hey, there's other people that don't even know the Lord at all, then we're out of balance. And then the opposite occurs as well. We engage the lost and we're heavily emphasizing evangelism and that's a right thing to do. But we're not concerned about discipling those folks that we reach or, or being discipled ourselves. Then we're out of balance there too. And so what we wanted to do, what I wanted to do and what the ministry leaders and deacons that did meet and gave me their feedback agreed to is just present with you for this year some challenges to help us be kind of more balanced as a church. And so when you entered the sanctuary this morning, you may have picked up uh, a list uh, kind of a, a, of 12 challenges, one monthly challenge for each month. And so some of those challenges are heavily emphasized growing in Christ, and some of them heavily emphasize uh, engaging the lost. And so there's things like this. So can, can you envision yourself just being challenged as a church together to do this together to produce more of a sense of unity that for this month, for example, is more of a growing in Christ discipleship challenge. So for January, we're going to emphasize all January, hey, let's all commit to come to one prayer gathering in our church family this month. Can we do that? Could you, could you envision yourself doing that? Or for next month, it's more of a engaging the lost challenge for the month of February. Can you... Can you think of somebody that's unchurched or lost that you can invite to your home for a dessert or out for a dessert or even for a meal or something like that? Uh, can, you, can you plan for that in February or plan to do it, make a plan in February to do it maybe in March or something? But, so we're just going to emphasize that in March. And then later on, there'll be other challenges too about, about things we do together as a church. Uh, in relation to missions and, and other things. And so all those different challenges, just simple things, that uh, one of them is the random acts of kindness like we did last year, you know. We just want to keep that in front of people, uh, things that we should be doing naturally already, and, uh, but hopefully we can kind of do some of these things together. And so that's, that's kind of the vision. It's not uh, anything earth-shaking or groundbreaking, but these are things that we're going to keep in front of you. Different ministry leaders are going to be asked to take on one of these challenges each month and keep this in front of us. And uh, hopefully we can be do a lot of celebrating as a church family as we seek to press on together in 2019. Our prayer is that we would press on together in 2019 to grow in Christ together and to engage the lost together. And folks, together is a key word. We want to do it together. Uh, that's what we see in the church. One of the things that I may share a little bit more about next Sunday is 
after a lot of prayer and just listening and so forth, and our ministry leaders and deacons, I think, would agree as well, and you probably would too, is that we need to spend more time together as a church. We don't know each other as well as we think we do. We need to fellowship together, and that don't mean... You know, Baptists like to eat, so we need to eat more together. I mean, I'm fine with that, you know, but that's part of it. But having each other in your homes, you see it in Acts chapter 2, how they spent time with each other and they knew each other. Not that you need to, you're going to be able to know every single person's name in this church, but, but we need to have a more of a sense that we know who the people are and we're not just always hanging out with the same people. It's a challenge in every church. And so some of these challenges, these 12 challenges, are aimed at actually as we're growing in Christ and, and engaging the lost, we're actually doing some of these uh, these challenges together as a church, just hanging out with each other, spending some time with one another. So I'm excited about that, and I hope that you will become more excited about it as those things move along. But let's take our Bible right now, and I'm not moving away from that topic, but I want you to see in the Word of God how the Apostle Paul was motivated to do the same things of reaching the lost, engaging the lost, growing in Christ, and he encouraged the church to do that together in the book of Philippians. So I'd ask you to take your Bible and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 12. Philippians chapter 3. Let's begin reading at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray together again. Our Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your call upon us as believers, that you have called us to yourself. You've laid hold of us. You've let us see the surpassing worth of Christ. You've shown this light in our hearts that most people in the world are blind to. So for those of us who are here in this room this morning or hearing this message that are believers, we want to thank you for saving us. And we want to ask you, God, to do what your word is intending to do right here in these verses in Philippians. They would have its intended effect to lead us to join with believers like Paul and with one another to press on together. So Lord, teach us, teach us this morning and stir us, Lord. Awaken faith. Give faith and repentance to the hearts of those who don't already have it. And do it all for your glory and your name's sake. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Louis Zamperini, there was a book written by him and later a couple movies made, and so you might know the name, but he was a POW in World War II in a Japanese prison camp for several days and went through some horrific things. And I want you to imagine if you were in a prison camp um, that what would be the one thing that you would want more than anything? You'd want to get out. I asked our kids like this, and one of them, uh, my kids like this last night in Bible study, and in our devotion time at home, and they said, that's what they said, do we want to get out? And I said, absolutely. You would value more than anything, you'd value being free, and you'd want to get out of prison. 
The reason I mention that is because the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this letter called Philippians in your Bible, he was writing it from a jail, from a prison in Philippi. He was in prison because of his faith in Jesus. And the one thing he valued more than anything, he wanted to get out of jail. He didn't want to be in prison. And you can see that even in the words that he writes in, in this letter of Philippians. But the thing that he values more than getting out of jail is found in chapter 1, verse 23. Look at it in verse 23. I'm hard-pressed between the two. He's talking about death and life. He could die in jail, but he doesn't have a death wish here to go on and be with Jesus. But he says in verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire... It's to get out of jail. Does it say that? My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. That's what he wants more than anything. The thing that he values most is to be with Christ, to be with Jesus. Why is being with Jesus far better? Well, I'm glad you asked the question. Look at chapter 3, verse 8 in your Bible. Chapter 3, verse 8. What does he say about the value of Christ in verse 8. Indeed, verse 8 of chapter 3, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Surpassing worth. Goes on to tell us that if he can be found in Christ, then he will have a righteousness that comes from God and not his own. Because all the right things that he could look in his life and, and say, here, God, here are all the good things that I've done. He says, I look on it now. I used to look on it and be proud of it. And now I put my confidence in it. But now I look on all those good, right things that I've done, and it's worthless. It's garbage. It doesn't mean anything. It's not worth anything to me. Because it will not make me right with God But, I could, but if I can be found in Christ, that's more valuable than anything that I could ever look at and boast about is to have Jesus, to be right with God through Jesus and to be with Jesus. So Paul's in jail and more than anything, he wants to be out of jail, but more than anything, more than being out of jail, more than being out of prison, he wants to be with Christ. So here's my question for you. What does Paul immerse himself in doing while he's in prison? He wants to be with Christ. So does he sit back and, and hum to himself, mm, I want to be with Jesus? No. Even though he's chained, he's not. He's active, not passive. And I want you to look in chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, and notice that he is consumed with growing in Christ. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. Verse 9 says this, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now look at verse 9 again. Are you looking at your Bible? Are you listening? It is my prayer that your love, who is your, who are the people he's talking about? Other Christians, the church. What's he want? 
He wants them to grow in Christ. He's writing a letter in jail, but he's not singing the blues. He's writing a letter so that Christians, he's consumed with growing in Christ himself, but them as well. You see it also, this emphasis on growing in Christ in chapter 1, verse 24. Look at verse 24. But to remain in the flesh, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. What's he want? Why does he want to continue with them, even though going to heaven's better for him personally? What's the Bible say? What's your Bible say? For, F-O-R, for your what? For your progress and joy in the faith. So Paul's in jail. He wants to be out of jail. But more than getting out of jail, he desires Christ. And therefore, since he desires Christ and to be with Christ and be found in Christ so much, he's consumed with the things that Christ is consumed with, and that is the sanctification of his church, the growth in Christ of his church. He wants them to grow in Christ. And he's also consumed with engaging the lost while he's in jail. He's in jail. He's chained, yet he's not chained because the gospel is not. And if you look in chapter 1, verse 12, look at what the Bible says in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, it's what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He said, I don't want you to be disheartened that you've heard that I'm in prison. That's one of his purposes in writing this letter to the Philippians. Don't be disheartened. There's no setback here. There's no setbacks when God's sovereign. Amen, church? That what's happened has really served to advance the gospel. Look at what he says in verse 13. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So this is my mission field. And this prison cell. And I, I, do, I, I value Christ more than anything, so I'm just consumed with helping people continue to grow in Christ. Even though I, I may not want to be right here in this place, this is where I'm at in this prison cell. So I'm going to help people grow in Christ, and I'm going to keep on telling people about Jesus. I'm going to keep engaging the lost. Growing in Christ, engaging the lost, those are his consuming priorities. Not trying to devise an escape plan to get out of jail but to glorify Christ by growing in Christ and engaging the lost. So here's my question for us this morning as we think about these 12 challenges and, and our own desire to grow in Christ and engage the lost. What's driving this man's unnatural, supernatural response to being in prison? What's driving that? How's he going to do it with joy and it not be feeling like drudgery to him? As you're entering 2019, you're entering 2019. You don't know what the year's going to bring necessarily. Some of you do, and you're excited. You have great expectations, and some of you enter 2019 with brokenheartedness and sadness and battling with some of the same temptations. And now we are again being challenged. We need to keep pressing on in Christ. There's 12 challenges been presented by the pastor and the church leaders how are we, what's going to drive us? How are we going to do this and not feel like drudgery and just other things that are being laid upon us that we have to do? And I think we can gain a lot of wisdom and encouragement and motivation to see what drove Paul as we look in these verses. So three things very quickly. Number one, 
we are not yet perfect like Jesus. We are not yet perfect like Jesus. Kids sometimes say to you when you're on a trip, are we there yet? If you go to the mission trip with Nick Foster, he's going to ask you at some point, are we there yet? When it comes to arriving spiritually, we are not there yet. Notice what the Bible says in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. I'm not there yet. Now, he says it again in verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. So there's, he says it in two different ways. He wants us to know that whatever it is and this is, he's not there yet. He's not perfect. And what I'm saying is, is what he's talking about is being perfect like Christ. What is this? He says, I'm not, ready obtain, I'm not already obtained this or already perfect. If you look back in verse 8 of chapter 3, he says, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. The middle of verse 8 is where I'm at. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and keep reading and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So what he wants to have is on that day, on that day before the Lord, he wants to be found that he is continuing to repent and trust in Christ, to be found in Christ, that he's not, that he's not simply mouthed the right words and found to be a false believer, that he's persevered in faith. That's what he wants. And then he says in verse 9, or excuse me, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, well, those are some strange words. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to live in such a way, I want to be so close to Jesus and so much like Jesus that the power of the resurrection that raised him from the dead is a reality in my life. That I see him working that way in my life and using me that way. He says that I may share his sufferings. That's a strange thing to say, isn't it? But he realizes that the path to glory, the path to the cross is to take up your cross and follow Jesus. And if that's going to lead to Jesus, then, then I want to share his sufferings. I want to be like Christ in his sufferings. I want to be like him in, 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 his, in, in, in undertaking and enjoying his resurrection power. Becoming like him in his death. I want to be conformed to his death. He wants his whole life, a big picture here is, he wants to be like Christ. He wants to be like Jesus. Verse 11 says that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He wants to be like Jesus. Verse 11, if he attains the resurrection from the dead by faith in Christ, that means he's going to be with Jesus. So what this means is this. When he says, I've not already obtained this or already perfect, he means this. I'm not yet perfect like Jesus and I'm not yet with Jesus, but I want to be. And the mature know they're not perfect. Look at verse 15. Let those of us who are mature, perfect, it says in some translations, think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it also to you. Those who are spiritually mature realize they are not, or spiritually perfect is not the same as being perfect without sin. You understand? Those who are spiritually mature, that way Paul talks about in verse 15, understand they're not perfect, that they've not arrived yet. 
they know they're not the perfect Christ-like mom. They know they're not the perfect Christ-like dad or the perfect Christ-like pastor or the perfect Christ-like church member. They know they've got a long ways to go. There's a humility that, that describes them. And I think that's something we need to be reminded of as we begin a new year is this humility and this drive that we need the church and we need prayer and we need his word and we've not advanced beyond the need of taking advantage of the means of grace to grow in Christ. We're not yet perfect like Jesus, but let's move on. Well, we're saved by faith in Jesus, but that doesn't mean that we take a big, big deep breath of grace and relax. We take a big, deep breath of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, and we run. Number two, we're not perfect like Jesus, but we press on to be with Jesus. We press on to be with him. We press on to be with him. Perhaps you were less way when you met your spouse. Um, when I met my sweet baby pie, Deanna, and she's, actually I found out she liked me. I was completely consumed. It was an all-consuming desire to stand in a church with her and hear her say, I do. I didn't even go deer hunting that season. So that tells you something. Because when you desire something so much, it consumes you and you pursue it. You act upon it. And Paul says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I want to lay hold of it. I want it to be mine. I want to enjoy this that I've been promised, to embrace it. So he says, there's nothing more valuable to me than Jesus. So there's nothing I'm going to pursue more than being with Jesus and being like Jesus. That's going to be my all-consuming passion and drive. So he's running after it hard. I was going by some of our Sunday school classes this morning and listening to different teachers talk and, and uh, I went in a couple of the classes and heard, heard their teaching and so forth for just a little bit and just encouraged to see people studying the Word together and seeing people grow in Christ and looking on our congregation and seeing good things that the Lord is doing. and One of the things that we need to keep in mind is as we press on to be with Jesus, though, is when we look and see successful things and good things that the Lord has done is that we don't, we don't assume that because we've grown somewhere here, God's done something good here, that we're necessarily going to keep pressing on like we should And so Paul says in verse 13, look at it. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. What is he forgetting that lies behind? A lot of times we may think he's talking about forgetting his sin. And certainly this is a helpful verse to remind us of that. Don't want to be reminded of my sin. I'm forgetting that and going on. But what, in context, what he's really talking about forgetting here is what he had placed his confidence in in the past, I think and being, a, being a, from the tribe of Benjamin, a righteousness that comes from the law, he, he's forgetting all that. He's leaving it behind. He counts it as rubbish. He wants to persevere and continue to repent and trust in Jesus. And any, any successes that he may have had in his walk with Jesus, he, he's not going to focus on that. He's just pressing forward, focusing on what lies ahead. 
And that's what we need to do as a church as we think of good things the Lord has done even in the past few years that I've been here. Even as we think of some of the things that, uh, you know, there's been cost along the way in the past four years too. But regardless, we press forward. We press forward together as a church. We keep engaging the lost and growing in Christ even when we hurt or we don't understand or even when we're very proud and thankful for what the Lord has done. We don't use this as a means of boasting and driving us. We let Christ be our boast and our motivation. Sometimes we get tired of running. You get tired of running. Um, I was out running yesterday. I brought back in, in 2019, I brought a few pounds with me from being at mom and dad's eating pinto beans and cornbread and stuff like that. So I was running yesterday and tired because I hadn't been running as much here in a while. And the one thing on my mind is I wanted to get home and I wanted to stop running. That was my motivation. I could see 113 Northwood Drive with the garbage dumpster barrel sitting upside down where I'd left it, and that was what I was in my mind. I want to get back there, and I want to stop running because I'm tired. A lot of times that's how we feel spiritually. We're running. We're pressing on every year, every day. We're bringing in this into the new year. We're tired of this situation. We're, we're not in jail, but we're still dealing with this situation with that coworker or this thing. But we know God's sovereign. Well, we're tired. We're tired. We're tired. We just want to quit running. And that's, that's a natural thing to desire. But what motivates Paul is not just stopping running one day. Not just ceasing from his labor. What motivates him to keep running is not running anymore. It's a prize. Standing in his driveway, so to speak, is a prize of surpassing value. It's Jesus. Once you look at your Bible in verse 14, and notice what he says. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Remember, what's he want more than anything? He wants to be like Jesus, perfect like Jesus. And he wants to be with Jesus. And the prize as he presses on is that. It's being with Jesus. It's being perfect like Jesus. And so he's pressing on to be with Jesus. So here's the prize that should motivate us to run the race and press on together in 2019. I will, listen, you will, if you're a believer in Jesus, trust in him alone. We will be with Jesus. And... If I'm with Jesus one day, that means I will have been counted righteous in Jesus. I will have been looked upon and treated as if I'm as right with God as Jesus is. And in fact, when I'm in heaven, I'll be done with sin. I'm tired of struggling with sin. I'm tired of being the imperfect pastor. I'm tired of being the imperfect dad, the imperfect neighbor, the imperfect friend. One day... As I'm pressing on to be a better this or a better that, one day that's going to be done. Perfect. Not like, not God, but glorified. Done with sin. That's the prize. And enjoying perfect fellowship with Jesus. So I spoke to someone this morning who lost a loved one a couple years ago 
I said, you've been on my heart, you've been, you know, this time of year I think about you. And he said, yeah, but you know, we, we're okay. We know, we, know, we know where our loved one's at. For somebody to know Jesus is to have perfect, for that person is to have perfect fellowship with Jesus because there's no, st- there's no trace of sin in them anymore. I mean, sometimes I have wonderful fellowship with Jesus here on Sunday mornings with you as a church as we're singing some of the wonderful songs Tim leads us to sing about the gospel. That's, it's just tremendous fellowship. And sometimes it's in, my, in the word alone by myself or hunting in a deer stand thinking about, not deer, but thinking about Jesus. But to be in heaven is to, to enjoy perfect interrupted, interrupted fellowship with Christ. And we're assured of that. We're promised that. It may not seem like that in the wording of Philippians chapter 3. It sounds like there's some uncertainty on Paul's part. He says, I want to gain Christ, right? I mean, I'm not overlooking that wording here. He said, I've not yet obtained it. So what kind of language is this? He's living in the now, not yet, folks. I have it, but I don't have it. I have it, but I, I have not laid hold on it. It's like this gift I want for Christmas. I know mom and dad's going to get it for me, but I, I know that it's right there under the tree, but I haven't laid my hands on it yet. And there's this precious gift that surpasses everything called Jesus being perfect like him and being with him. And I know it's mine, but I don't have my hands on it yet. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Verse 21 says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why does he say that? Why does he say for me to live is Christ and to die? If I died right now, it's gain for me. Why does he say that, folks? Because he's assured. He knows where he's going when he dies. There's not uncertainty in that sense, right? Verse 23 in chapter 1 says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desires to depart and be with Christ. If he departs, he'll be with Christ. He knows where he's going. He's done with sin. He's assured of that. He's promised that. But he wants to lay his hands on it, so he presses on to make it his own, to lay his hands on it. So we run. We run. It's promised to us. We're assured of it. We know if we're trusting in Jesus, we should know that if we died, we would go to heaven. So we're pressing on because we want to lay our hands on it. We don't want to be found to be false believers who just mouthed the words and said the right things and didn't have true saving faith. We want to persevere in faith. So we press on with joy because of what we've been promised. And we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're not working for salvation. We're working out, Philippians says. We're working it out. We're making it a reality. Here's, here's, my sal- here's, here's evidence of salvation. I'm reaching the lost, engaging the lost. I'm growing in Christ, helping others do the same. So we're not yet perfect like Jesus, but we press on to be like Jesus. And lastly, thirdly, we do this because we belong to Jesus. Amen? We're not perfect like Jesus. But we press on to be like Jesus. Because we will be like Jesus. What's he saying? Verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. The end of it. See the last part of the verse? Not that I already obtained this, already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I was going to preach some, a different passage of Scripture this week from Acts, and I might do that next Sunday, but when I was, was led here this week, when I was studying and got back from Tennessee, and I came across this verse, and that part of the verse ignited my heart. 
And as I began to study, I thought, I'm preaching this. Because Christ Jesus has made me, that's my motivation to keep going, to press on. I want to lay hold of it because Christ has already laid hold of me. He's already got his hands on me. And no one can pluck me out of his hands. So I was going by Michael and Alex Brewer's Sunday school class. They're teaching one of our children's classes. And they're singing, Jesus loves me. This I know. Jesus loves me. This I know. I know it because the Bible tells me so. The Bible describes this. It tells us what that love looks like. It looks like death. He loves us so much he died for us that we can know him. So what Paul, when he says these words, I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. He's thinking about his conversion. He's thinking about how his confidence used to be in being a religious Jew and being a Pharisee and being from the tribe of Benjamin and all these things. But he says, all that's like garbage to me now. It's worthless to me because Jesus laid hold on me. He was on the Damascus road and God got a hold of Paul's heart and he saw the light of Jesus and he didn't just see it physically, he saw it in his heart. He said, I want to turn to Christ and follow him. God caused that to happen inside of him. Jesus laid hold on him and he never got over it. Just like that's happened to you. Many of you are believers. He's got a hold of you. I was thinking about that in my study this week. I didn't have a Damascus road-like experience in my life where I was out trying to haul Christians off to jail and finally, suddenly, one day out of the blue, just, I just said, I got a hold of him. He's not doing it anymore. He's mine. That's not my testimony. And it's not yours either, but some of you have more dramatic testimonies, so to speak. Listen, every testimony is dramatic because you were dead in sin and you're not anymore. My testimony is more like taught about Jesus ever since I was a baby. Brought up in a Christian home. I mean, prayed for before I was born by Christian parents. So when I think how Christ has laid hold of me, what I think more of is not that particular moment and experience, even though that did happen, is I think of my own sin that I've been snatched away from by Christ, how I did go into sin before I was saved. I was saved at a young age. And then even more so after, after knowing Christ, I've sinned. And I think of the sins that I have not committed, but have wanted to. But because Jesus has laid hold on me, I've not committed those sins. Because he's laid hold on me. He's done this miraculous thing in my life. He's done the same type in yours if you're a believer. So Paul begins to think about his conversion. He thinks about how he belongs to Jesus. And so because Jesus has laid hold of me, I will obtain the prize. He who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So in the meantime, Paul wants more than anything to be like Jesus, to, to be with Jesus. He wants to be perfect like Jesus, but he can't take a pill a magic pill and it'll turn him into Jesus, being like Jesus anyway, right? But what, what can he do? He can do jail time for Jesus. He can do all things through Christ which strengthens him. 
I can embrace what God's placed in my life under his sovereignty and care, and I can keep growing in Christ and helping others do the same and engaging the lost. He can't do anything to get out of jail, and maybe you can't do anything to get out of circumstances and situations you find yourself in. But you can do jail time or whatever your mission field is because you belong to Jesus and you want to press on to be like Jesus and be with him. So we're not perfect parents. We're not perfect co-workers, church members. But because we belong to Jesus, we're going to be like Jesus and we're going to press on. Let me close like this. There's so much more I want to say, but I'll lose you. First of all, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to be sure that you're trusting only in Jesus. Um, You need to lose confidence in yourself. Three times in Philippians chapter 3, you go back and read. He says, Put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. No confidence in me. I have no confidence in what I'm doing. Everything I've done is like garbage. It's like a dung heap. It's, it's worthless. Put no confidence in that. My righteousness comes from God. It's by faith in him that I receive this righteousness. What you need to do is be sure you're placing only your trust in, in what Christ has done, not what you've done. We'd love to talk with you about that. And for those of us who know the Lord, this pursuit is not drudgery. Undergoing 12 challenges by the church is not meant to be drudgery. This pursuit is joy. This is the epistle of joy, Paul writes. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in jail. He says, rejoice in the Lord. That's the one thing you got that ain't going to change. It's who the Lord is and what he's promised you. So rejoice in the Lord. So we close in a moment. We sing this song that says this, My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, not what I can do, but it's in the costly wounds of love at the cross. That's where my worth is. Two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness. But my value fixed, my ransom paid. At the cross. So whether I'm in jail or whether I'm really struggling to be a good dad or husband or whatever it is, not perfect, I press on because I rejoice in my Redeemer. Greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul, I trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. Don't find satisfaction in anything else but in Christ. So we need to live our life together as a church and nurture that, folks. That's where our joy comes from, is in Jesus. Let's pray together. I thank you, Lord, for your word. and I thank you, Lord, that you have promised these great things to us in Jesus. And I ask that you would take what's been said here this morning and and stir us with it and, and use it to compel us to walk with you the way you'd have us to, Father. I pray for unbelievers that are here that don't know you that they would trust alone in what Jesus has done. Father, I pray for this church family as we have been called here to serve one another. 
Father, that we would love one another and we would seek together, Lord, to be more like Jesus as a church family. That we would seek to uh, engage the lost as a church family, to encourage one another to do that on our mission fields. Father, that we would be encouraged that we're not alone, that we have the church and we have Christ's presence. So help us, Lord, to make the impact for your kingdom that we've been called to in this coming year. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing this closing song now. And if you're here and you'd like to come and pray or talk with me about something, you're welcome to do so. But let's stand and sing this song together. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love. is not in skill or name in win or lose in pride or shame but in the blood of Christ that flows
And I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. And I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. One of the things I was thinking about this week is I, I was looking forward to this morning to, to be here to sing with you this morning. I love to be here and worship with you here at our church and, and sing these songs of the gospel and, and fellowship with you. So it's been a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Tim Johnson was listed in the bulletin. He must not be here this morning to pray for us. So uh, Tim, last of all, I'm going to ask you to close us in prayer. And if you're here today and there's something I can talk with you about or a way I can help you, I'll be standing to the back door. If you're not sure where you stand with the Lord Jesus, uh, you can be. And I would love to share with you about that. If you have questions, just uh, seek me on your way out this morning. Come back and worship with us tonight as we finish our Apostles' Creed study. And uh, don't forget about helping out with the Wabash Valley College meal. There's a sign-up sheet for that, too. So keep those things in mind. Brother Tim? Father God, we just come to you today. And uh, we just realize that without you, how lost and how broken that we are, God. And uh, how only you can put those pieces together. And only you can make us right with you, God. We just we praise you for all that you've done for us. We pray that as we go here today, um, just into our mission fields, from where we work and where we live, and um, just throughout the rest of this week, that our passion and our heart would be set towards you, God, our prize, the true... Um, the true reason why we're here, God. We pray that in everything that we do and everything that we say, that it would reflect you and it would glorify you, God. We pray that as we go through this year, that we would draw closer together as a church, as a family, and that through that, God, that we would also draw closer to those in the communities that we live and work, God, and that we would, um, that our heart would be broken for those that are lost, and that we might have that heart that you have for them, God, that we want to see them enter your kingdom, God. I just pray that you would give us the words to say to those people and give us, again, just a heart for each other and a heart for you, God, and a heart for the lost. And we just praise you above all for Christ because without his sacrifice on the cross, there would be no hope for us. We just praise you in all things. Amen. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. 
a popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus's body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.